You're listening to our weekly podcast, Getting in the Word with Stuart Guthrie. Stuart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship of Ridgeville in Early Branch, South Carolina. We hope to grow together with you, seeking real knowledge from the truth, the Word of God. Here's Stuart. We want to welcome you to today's program. If you're joining us for the first time, we are working through a study on the doctrine of salvation. We're in week three, and today we're going to be dealing with the union with Christ. And so I pray it'll be an encouragement to you as we talk about this this doctrine called union with Christ. So I want to begin by asking yourselves a question is what, what do you think union with Christ means? Um, I encourage you to write that answer down because as we go through this, I hope that, uh, that we can clarify for you what that means uh, biblically, because again, we are students of the word of God. We, we don't want to give you our opinion um, unless it's rooted in that which is foundational truth and that is the word of God for which we can certainly stand on. Ultimately, union with Christ, and I'll give you two definitions. Um, first definition is union with Christ is the mighty work of God to join his people in eternal covenant with the Son, who accomplished their salvation through the Holy Spirit who applies their salvation. Now, that is a definition that was uh, put out by Greg Allison, 50 Core Truths of Every um, of the Christian Faith. Um, here's the second definition. Union with Christ is the reality of all the ways the Bible pictures our human connectedness to Christ. I'm going to hone in on that idea of connectedness, in which he is indispensable for every good that we enjoy. No saving good, no eternal good, no God-exalting good, no soul-satisfying good comes to us except as we are connected to Christ. So if I could choose one word, one phrase, to describe to you, while these are lengthy definitions, um, I think they're great definitions, but if I could give you one phrase, one thought that would emphasize or drive in or or, or, or clarify the, the topic union with Christ, it would be this, in Christ. That simple. So let's look at some of the key passages, and I'll list several of them for your future study, because obviously we're not going to have time to go through every one of these, but here are some relevant verses as we discuss and look at uh, union with Christ. Flip over to John chapter 10, and we're going to look at verse 27 and 28. And this is what it says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. You see, this is this ongoing connectivity, being in Christ, a child of God. And then when we come to 1 Corinthians, verse 
chapter 1, verse 30, he says here, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, but by doing, by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that's why he says in verse 31, so that just as it is written, let him who boast, boast in the Lord. Any good, right, that you enjoy, any any saving good, any eternal good, any God-exalting good, any soul-satisfying good that you have in life only comes from being in Christ. And so if you're going to boast about anything, we should be boasting in the Lord. L look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And this will give us a, another picture of union with Christ. Verse 21, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Okay, there's that phrase, in Christ. Look at Galatians 2.20. Some of my favorite, one of my favorite, used to be my favorite verse in all of the Bible. So if you see my, if I ever sign somebody's Bible or something or, whatever the case may be, a hat, or I always put Galatians 2.20. Why? Well, let's read it. It says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. There's that in Christ phrase. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which now I live, I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So the reality is union with Christ can be defined in the simple terminology of being in Christ. So let's discuss some thoughts and ideas about being in Christ. Now I encourage you copy those passages and in your spare time today or this week, read them. And, and maybe even in your Bibles, pick a color to highlight. There's nothing wrong with highlighting and writing in your Bible. We don't need to, uh, you know, make the Bible an idol. It's the Word of God. It's whatever helps us connect and continue to study and learn and grow in, in the Word of God. This is what we should do. So I would encourage you to highlight and connect. So, for example, when you come to 1 John, or John 10, 27, 28, maybe highlight it in yellow, and then out to the side, connect to, to the next chapter and verse, chapter 14, verse 23. And then when you go there, highlight it the same color, and then connect it to chapter 15, 1 to 5. And then there, highlight it yellow and connect it to 17, 20 to 23. And then there, connect it to Romans. So when you are in the Scriptures and you're in the Bible and you see that highlight, you can go in your mind, union with Christ, in Christ. And you can always stay connected as you discuss and encourage others in the Word of God. Nevertheless, 
I just want to encourage you to do that. So eight ways that salvation from beginning to end is in Christ. Again, this is doctrine of salvation. What is it to be saved? Understanding the terminologies and understanding the process by which you can be 100% certain that if you were to die today or Christ were to turn, that you would go to heaven. So we first of eight, we are initially united with Christ in regeneration. Now, what does regeneration mean? It means to be made alive. Um, regeneration is what Jesus discusses with Paul on the road to Damascus. And he says, I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, and they will receive forgiveness for their sins who are set apart by faith in me. That, that idea of darkness to light from the power of Satan to God is salvific terminology. Death to life, that's regeneration. You must be born again. Why? Because you are dead in your trespasses and sins. The reality is, is every single soul ever who was born on this earth, and they are born into sin. Psalm 51.5 says that. It says, in my mother's womb, I was conceived into iniquity. We, we don't come into this world righteous and good. We come into this world dead in our trespasses. You don't have to teach a child, right, to steal. You have to teach them not to steal. You have to teach a child not to lie. You have to teach a child to be loving and caring. Why? Because they come out like little vipers in a diaper. The reality is, is we are initially united with Christ in regeneration. Look over at uh, Ephesians. Um, chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. And here we'll see. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. So there is the idea of union with Christ. <laughs> See, we were, verse 10 reminds us, we're created. We, we, were, we were his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. You were predestined, you were elected unto the, the works by which God has prepared beforehand for you, and it takes place at regeneration. When you become alive with Christ, you begin to walk. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And you then begin to journey in your Christian life in union with Christ, in Christ, Christ in you, living out the victorious Christian life. So we are initially united with Christ in that process of regeneration. Second of eight, we correct and continue to live out this union by faith. By faith. Ephesians 3, 16 and 17. 
that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your heart through what? Faith. So there it is. We are, we are continually living out that union with Christ, Christ being in us through faith. Galatians 2.20 reminds us, I've been crucified with Christ, and no longer it is I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. So there is that idea that we as believers, when we are born again from above, we have Christ in us. And it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in us. Therefore, when you are walking in this Christian life, and you're living out your life in the flesh, you're not walking in the Spirit. When you're sinning, you're not walking in the Spirit. When you become angry and you sin, you're not walking in the Spirit. When you lust after a man or a woman, you are walking in the flesh, not in the Spirit. We have to, is as believers, as born-again, regenerated brothers and sisters in Christ, Continue to live out our union with Christ through faith. Faith is taking God at his word. So, not only do we initially find our union with Christ in regeneration, and do we continue to live it out through faith, thirdly, we are justified in union with Christ. There is the doctrine of justification, which we will talk about later. That, that simply is a is a legal terminology uh, to be declared right by a judge. If you were to stand before a judge and you were about to get a sentence and uh, and the judge decided to let you go, you would be declared right. You, you're, no, you're not guilty is what it means. So we are justified. We are declared not guilty in union with Christ. Flip over to Philippians, Great Electric Power company is the way you can find it. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, uh, Philippians chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 8 and 9. I'll start in verse 7. But whatever, whatever things were gained to me, those I've counted lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of my surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. I count them but rubbish so that I might gain Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. So, this justification being made right is a process by which we continue to walk in Christ as we are justified. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 30 is another helpful verse that I want to point you to. So, but he says, but uh, by his doing, you are in Christ, who became 
to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts boast in the Lord. So there we find this righteousness. Again, justification is to be declared right. You are righteous if you are born again. If you are saved, you are as righteous as God. You have to be as perfect as God in order to get to heaven. You say, well, how is that possible, Pastor? Because the Word says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. So how can you expect me in this flesh to live perfectly? Well, listen, the reality is this. When you put your faith in Christ alone for salvation, Jesus has already taken your sin as if he has personally committed your sin and applied that to himself and imputating to you, crediting it to your account, his very righteousness. So when God sees you, he doesn't see you. He sees his son's righteousness, which covers you. And thus we can look back to the Old Testament at the Passover by which we can see it's not about who's in the house. It's about the blood on the doorpost. Are we covered in the blood of the Lamb? Because if we are covered in the blood of the Lamb, He then, God, credits the righteousness of Christ to us. and Therefore, we in Christ are justified in union with Christ. So not only are we, we, we united in regeneration, not only do we continue out this through faith, not only are we justified, but... Fourthly, we are sanctified through union with Christ. Sanctification, becoming more like Christ. It's a process, isn't it? We are positionally sanctified. That's what I just mentioned. We are positionally sanctified, right with God, justified. But then there is this progressive aspect of sanctification by which you are continually becoming more like Christ. So we are sanctified through union with Christ. Uh, flip over to Ephesians chapter 4. Um, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16. And uh, for whom the whole body being fitted and, and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper work of individual parts causes the body the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. It's a process. It's a building process, a growth process. Flip over to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. And here in verse uh, 4 and 5, we find he says this, <clears throat> Abide in me and I in you. Abide means connected. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. What he's saying is you must be in connection. You must be connected to the life-giving power of the Spirit of God through salvation because you cannot bear fruit, not the fruit of the Spirit, unless you are connected to Christ, the life giver. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless 
you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branch. He who abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit apart from me. You can do nothing. In Christ, connected to Christ, union with Christ, and sanctification through Christ. You are growing. You are bearing fruit. Some of you may be further along in the sanctification process. But nevertheless, you are certainly being born again when you show yourselves to be bearing fruit. You are, you are being sanctified. And look over at 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It's a great verse. One that uh, we can be reminded of. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, what? He is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new have come. So I am really big on sanctification. Because we have in our cultural Christianity, pray a prayer and you're done. You don't have to do anything. No, 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 no. Hebrews 12, 14 says, without sanctification, no one will see heaven. If you are not growing in the grace and the knowledge of Christ, you got nothing, my friend. You can pray a prayer all day long, but it's not until you are, you are declared right before God and He begins to sanctify you. You begin to bear fruit. You begin to hate sin and love righteousness. Until He gives you those desires, you can't claim to be a believer and follower of Christ. No, the Bible says you are a new creation in Christ. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So let me ask you a question. And only you can answer this. Are you a different person now than you were before you put your faith in Christ? Or are you the same person? Sinful, stained, separated, enmity with God, living in sin, living in adultery, living in habitual sin with no, with no regard for sin in your heart. You see, when Christ saves you, He comes and takes residence in you. That's union with Christ, in Christ in you. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And when Christ lives in you, when you sin, you are convicted of that sin. If you can just walk in habitual sin with no conviction of sin, that is not proof. That is not evidence of someone that's been regenerated. You're no longer a slave to unrighteousness, but rather a slave to righteousness. Why? Because you've become a child of God for those that are saved, those that are in union with Christ. And it's no longer you who lives, but Christ who lives in you. Therefore, when you step out and you suppress the spirit in you to walk in the flesh, it ought to bother you. And you ought to claim 1 John 1, 9 and confess your sins. And he is faithful and righteous and forgives us our sins and cleanses from all unrighteousness. So not only are we regenerated, we continue out in faith and through justification, through sanctification, but through perseverance in the life and faith and union with Christ. So we persevere. I, I preached Sunday on the book of Titus. And it talked about men and how men need to be men who persevere, who don't quit, who don't in the face of hardship lay down, but rather press on. So we are expected not only as men, but as all Christians to persevere. If you don't persevere, then how do you know you genuinely have the Spirit of God living in you? 
right? Flip over to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse uh, 38. I'll, I'll start in verse 37, can give you some context. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principality, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor other created things will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Listen to me very clearly. If you buy, now I'm going to get kind of passionate here, because I got a telephone call and a voicemail that bothered me. Because people aren't thinking biblically. I don't know where to come up with this mess from. But listen to me very clearly. If you've taken the vaccine, you indeed might die. But you indeed may not die. But I, let me tell you what ain't going to happen, my friend. Don't tell me for one second that when someone takes the vaccine, it removes God. That's the most heretical baloney I've ever heard in my life. Give me the book, the chapter, the verse, my friend. Stop spreading heresy. No, no, no. It That is, I don't care what the scientist says. I don't care what the doctors say. I, let me tell you what the Bible says. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Listen to me very clearly, my friends. When you are saved, Christ is in you, and nothing has the power to remove God from you. It ain't about what you feel. That's millennialism. That's uh, this new age baloney mess. If you are crucified with Christ, He lives in you, and nothing can separate you from the love of God. Now, I'm not telling you to go get the vaccine or not go get the vaccine. That's your own business. I'm not a medical doctor. But I will tell you this, and I will emphatically tell you this. How don't you dare tell somebody that God is removed from them because they've taken a vaccine. I have dear friends who have taken the vaccine. I have faithful brothers and sisters in Christ who have taken the vaccine so that they can go into third world countries and share the hope of Jesus Christ. Don't you tell me that they don't have God or that they can't feel God. It ain't about what you feel. It's about who's in you. And when Christ is in you, you will be victorious. You will walk in righteousness. You will walk in sanctification. You will walk because He is in you and nothing can separate you from the love of God. Stop buying the news. <laughs> Listen, it's just as evil to go to the other side and swing the pendulum too far. Okay, you don't support vaccines. Well, don't create some lie to pre prevent people from doing it. Simply keep it medically reasonable not to do it.
Don't try to argue it biblically. No, you you can't you can't lose your God gene. What is that? You're created in the image of God. You think some vaccination is going to change that? You have a little view of God as your problem. A tiny view of God. No, God is able to sustain. God is able to keep. God is able to protect. God is able to redeem. God is able because God is sovereign and he is sovereign over our vaccination. He can turn your blood right back to where it needs to be because he's God. If he can split the Red Sea, you better bet he can do what he wants because he's God. We need to have a bigger view of God. We give mankind too much credit. Nothing can separate you. Why? Because Christ is in you. And you will persevere. You will continue walking in that reality. So not only do we see that in Romans 8, 38 and 39, which many need to memorize these days. Look at John 10. John 10. Uh, we're going to look specifically at verse 27 and 28. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life to them. Oh, imagine this. They will never perish. Hmm. Interesting. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Sounds pretty protective to me. Sounds pretty secure to me. So therefore, if we are secure in our salvation, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Then we will persevere. We will continue walking with Him. You see, Salvation is not one time that you prayed a prayer. No, salvation is that you continue walking with Him. Because if you are truly born again, you will never reject Him. So listen to me very clearly. If someone rejects Christ, I want you to know they never had Christ. They may have confessed Christ with their mouth, but He was never Lord of their life because He who is a believer in Christ and a follower and a child of God is indwelt with the Spirit of God and nothing can separate Him from the love of God. So we will persevere until the end. We call it the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. So not only do we look at it through regeneration, through faith, through justification, through sanctification, through perseverance, but we also are even said to die in Christ. To die in Christ. L look at Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. And we're going to look at verse 8. Um, I'll start in verse 7. For, for not one of us, lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. Or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or we die, we are the Lord's. Huh. You know, the beauty of union with Christ, the doctrine of salvation, it gives us this reality of God's 
pleasure in keeping us. We are children of God. And though we die, we die in Christ. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we're going to flip over to verse 16. For this we say to you, verse 15, by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a shout. <laughs> Boy, that's going to be a day, isn't it? With the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. We are even said to die in Christ. Christ is in us. Not only shall we die in Christ, but we shall be raised with Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and uh, look at verse um, 22. Verse 22. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. So we will be raised up with him. We will be alive with Christ. Colossians 3 1. Uh, Colossians 3 1. <clears throat> we are reminded in, in chapter 3, verse 1, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not things on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So, not only are we said to die in Christ, not only are we said we'll be raised with Christ, but lastly, we will be eternally glorified with Christ. And that's why he can say in Colossians 3, when Christ, verse 4, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. You will be glorified, my friend. You will be glorified. And it will be a beautiful day. It will be a glorious day when you receive your glorified body. First Thessalonians 4. 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout again, and, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And you will meet the Lord in the air, and you will receive your glorified body. You will be with Christ. So when you are saved, you're in union with Christ. Christ is in you. That never departs. That's encouraging. <laughs> John Murray said this about union with Christ. It was a wonderful quote. 
And he says this, union with Christ is the central truth of the whole doctrine of salvation. Is not simply a phrase of application of redemption. It underlies every aspect of redemption. You see what difference with Christianity and other religions is this. They have to get to God. Christianity... You know, many roads lead to God. They go up the mountain. You ever see the pictures? Got all these roads, and all the roads lead to one place, and they say that's God. And all roads lead to God. This religion, this religion, they all lead to the same God. Obviously, that's not true. There's but one God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And there's there's only one way to salvation. Jesus says, "I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me." There is but one road unto salvation and it is ultimately through jesus christ but what he's saying is this christ god came down off the mountaintop and dwelt among us and not only does he dwell among us he lives in us christ is in us therefore we had, we obtain the power of God in our lives. Now, that's misused, and people will, you know, the uh, the word of faith movement, oh, your words have power. Listen, the word of God has power. That word of faith movement is a, is, is a terrible movement that Pentecostalism has brought in to Christianity. You have no more power in your words than a mite beating his head against a piece of granite. No, the reality is that you have power through your word in relation to the word of God. Salvation comes by hearing and hearing the word of God, not by Stuart Guthrie's word. Speak it into existence. Be positive thinking. That's all Eastern mysticism that has... Unfortunately, because of poor shepherding and unqualified men in the pulpit have allowed into their churches. So the reality is, is union with Christ, Christ in you is, is, the, is, the, is the central truth of the whole doctrine of salvation, which is different from other religions. John Calvin in his Institutes, said this, that union with Christ has the highest degree of importance if we are to understand justification correctly. So the old image is, if you had a book in one hand, and uh, I tell you what, let me, let me try this, and um, maybe I can explain via video because it's kind of hard to explain. So if you're watching, we want to welcome you. Um, for example, I have uh, Dr. John MacArthur's uh, new Legacy Standard Bible translation that, that they did. Uh, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. So this is Christ and this is you. This is separation you're dead in your trespasses and sins, right? Isaiah 59, 2, 
your sins have made a separation between you and your God. And so the reality is God made him, Christ, who knew no sin, to become sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. When you see me now, who do you see? You don't see me, the pen, now the pen is in Christ. So when God sees, right? When, when God sees us, he sees us as holy and righteous. So here we go. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So when God sees me, who does he see? He doesn't see me, the pen. He sees Christ. And that is the idea of justification. We've been made right in Christ because God doesn't see us. He sees his son who paid the price on Calvary. So that's the reality. Um, the reality is, is like John says, John Calvin, if we are to understand justification correctly, then we must understand union with Christ is essential. And because it's the righteousness of Christ that's covered us. So Sinclair Ferguson gave five views of sanctification. Um, and, and so he specifies that if we are united with Christ, we are united to him in all points of his activity on our behalf. Um, in our death, right, we are baptized into his death. In his resurrection, we are resurrected into Christ. In his ascension, we have been what? Raised with Christ. In, in his heavenly session, we sit with him in the heavenly places so that our life is hidden with Christ in God. And we will share ultimately in the end in his promised return. When Christ, who is our life, appears, we will also appear with him in glory. So the reality is, is union with Christ is, an, is a huge theological proposition that we need to understand Christ lives in us. Um, we can kind of make it more difficult than it really needs to be, but nevertheless, um, we need to make sure that uh, we, we are reminded of that reality. So uh, let's talk about now, we got just a few minutes, the theological importance of union with Christ. Union with Christ is a vital part of the application of redemption. Uh, we don't uh, become actual partakers of Christ until redemption is actively applied. Okay? So prior to the work, Paul, in writing to the believers at Ephesus, reminded them that they were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, his election. We agreed that, that God elects men and women at salvation. You can't get away from it. It's biblical. Now, where we may disagree on how he does that, whether it's unconditional election or whether it's conditional election by methods of reprobation, which normally go in hand in hand with unconditional election. But the implications is that every time where they were without Christ, being aliens and strangers and not under the covenant of the promise and having no hope and, and without God in the world. So, they were by nature, Ephesians 2, 3, children of wrath. So if we flip that, 
and we understand we're children of God. We are with Christ. We are no longer aliens and strangers. We're not under the, we are under the covenant of promises and we do have hope and we are not without God in the world and we are not children of wrath, but now children of God. So although they had been chosen in Christ, listen, this is important because although they had been chosen in Christ before the foundations of the world, the reality was that they were all Christless until they were called effectually and responded by faith to the call of Christ into fellowship of God's Son. So even though you may have been chosen by God before the foundations of the world, until you, listen, are are called by God and respond by faith, you are still a child of wrath. Isn't that interesting? So this whole idea, the implications, is that prior to your faith in Christ, you're still dead in your trespasses and sins, even though you may have been the elect of God from the foundations of the world. So only only then, the results is only then are you known to be in fellowship with Christ in Christ in you. So we must put our faith in Christ. It's not enough to say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm chosen of God. That's great, but have you put your faith in Christ? So it's not enough to believe about Christ. You must be in Christ. You must be in union with Christ. Like the vine and the branch, you must be connected. You must not be like uh, Isaiah 59, 2, that says your sins have made a separation between you and your God. No, you must be connected. And so the questions that are brought up in regard to you with Christ, isn't there a balance to make sure that we don't over-spiritualize or bring into the doctrine of union with Christ into a mystical setting? Well, that's relevant in our day. Therefore, we, you know, we, we may hear, oh, you know, you're positive. You, Christ is in you. Therefore, what you speak is power. And there's this positive thinking. And, and you, you have this Joel Ostinian theology where you name it and claim it. And you can have your best life now. If your best life now is on this side of heaven, you're in trouble, my friend. So if Galatians 2.20 is in reality and we are in union with Christ, it's no longer I who lives but Christ in me, why then do I consistently struggle with living out my new identity with Christ? And often, why do we fall into old patterns? Isn't that a legitimate question? Well, because the Scripture says we walk in the flesh. We're not robots. We're not a puppet on a string. We make our own decisions many times, and we pay the consequences of those. But he's given us everything that we need pertaining to life and to godliness. He lives in us. We have to, we have to suppress the truth in unrighteousness, which is what Romans 1 says. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And we, too, can, can even as believers, walk in the flesh. And so he says here in Romans 6, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in sin? Or do you not know 
All of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death. Therefore, we've been buried with him through the baptism into death so that Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father. So we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in likeness of his death, certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old selves was crucified with him in order that our bodies of sin may be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. There's the difference. There's the key. Before Christ, you were slaves. All you could do was sin. Even in your, your theory of righteousness, or you thinking like, well, I'm doing good, you, you, your intentions made it sinful. But when you are born again and Christ is in you, you're no longer a slave to sin. It means you don't have to respond. You, you're, you, before Christ, you, you, you had a pre-inclination to sin. But now in Christ, Christ in you, he has given you an opportunity to have success. You're no longer a slave to it. For he who has died is free from sin, freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ and we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again, death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive in God to Jesus Christ. And then he says in verse 12, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you may obey its lust. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you. For you are not under the law, but under grace. So that's the reason why. It's because we're still in this flesh. There's still temptation. There's still sin that comes our way that the devil bombards us. And so we don't have a high priest that cannot sympathize with us in our weakness, for he's been tempted in everything as we yet without sin. Christ understands when you fail. And that's why he gives you 1 John 1, 9. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and righteous. So you need to confess your sins. So how does your practice in the flesh line up with your continual repentance as union with Christ, as Christ who is in you? So how do we live this out? How do we live out this life? Well, first, we need, we, we, we need to imitate Christ as our example. Are we doing that in our daily lives? Are we embracing the special presence of Christ in our lives and blessing others because we are Holy Spirit-filled followers of Christ in union with Christ? According to Calvin, we do not therefore envision him outside of ourselves from afar in order that his righteousness may be imputed to us, but because we put on Christ, we are engrafted into his body. In short, because he designed to make us one with him. So it gives the idea 
of this new life and that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. That's a reality. So scripture uses metaphors that further support the reality of our union with Christ. Jesus is the vine, we are the branches. Jesus is the head and we are the body. Jesus is the cornerstone and we are the living stones built upon him. Foundation is all together with Christ being the chief cornerstone. We, uh, He is the bridegroom, we are the bride. We are crucified with Christ and no longer live, but it is what? Christ who lives in us. And we are baptized into him. So, the reality is this, in order to be saved, it's not simply enough to know about Christ, my friend. For the reality is, is there are millions and millions of people who acknowledge certain facts about Jesus. That's a reality. We get that. But the reality is, is you is more than that. You must believe in Christ. It's not about your acknowledging certain facts that make you a Christian. I mean, the demons believed in Jesus and trembled. No, you must personally receive Christ. Because God, Christ, he, he has made Jesus to be the only solution for your broken relationship. And when you come to put your faith in Christ, and you believe that it was enough of what he did on the cross, and you put your faith in Christ, he comes to take up residence in you, my friend. His, his death was not meaningless. He willingly, sufficiently, and obediently died for you and for me and, and took our payment for sin. And he wants to come and take up residence in you. He made him who knew no sin to become sin on your behalf that you might become the righteousness of God in him. Listen, to have a relationship with God, you need to understand that you must be as righteous as God, righteous and as holy as God himself. And the Bible does indeed claim that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've missed the mark. Everybody. And listen, for this reason, it's the reason that the Father judged the Son as if He personally committed your sins, so that by faith in Christ you could receive the benefits of His sinless life and His substitutionary death. So let me ask you a question today. Are you certain that if you were to die today or Christ were to come, that you would go to heaven? Listen, Jesus has paid the price. God has provided the method, the avenue, and Jesus is the only way. John 14, 6 says that. Now you will lack one thing. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved, and he will come and he will take up residence and he will fill you with his spirit. And when he fills you with his spirit, he will convict you of sin. He will lead you and direct you and guide you. He will bring to your remembrance all that he said. He will give you peace and comfort and hope. My peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give. Let your heart not be troubled. He wants to come and take up residence in you. So give your life to Christ today. This has been Getting in the Word with Pastor Stuart Guthrie. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. And be sure to visit us online at familybiblefellowship.org. And come see us in person on Sundays at 11 a.m.